When God is ruling in your relationships, they are going to be operating at their best, at their most efficient, because it's going to be God's power and God's design running it the way that it was intended to be. We're going to delve into God's rule in relationships today in Colossians 3 on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Some years ago, I heard Dr. Dobson quote this song from Winona Judd. And many of the first weddings that I performed, I would quote this, and I think it's apropos for this morning. The song is called Grandpa, Tell Me About the Good Old Days, and it goes this way. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Sometimes it feels like this world's gone crazy. And Grandpa, take me back to yesterday when the line between right and wrong didn't seem so hazy. Did lovers really fall in love to stay, stand beside each other, come what may? Was a promise really something people kept, not just something that they would say and then forget? Did families really bow their heads to pray? Daddies really never go away. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Grandpa, everything is changing fast. We call it progress, but I just don't know. And Grandpa, let's wander back into the past and paint me the picture of long ago. Did lovers really fall in love to stay? Stand beside each other, come what may? Was a promise really something people kept? Not just something that they would say and forget. Did families really bow their heads to pray? Daddies really never go away. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Tell me about the good old days. That was written by Jamie O'Hara. And I think it strikes a chord in all of us because we see a world that's gone crazy. We, we see, you know, what happened in Virginia with this man targeting lawmakers at a baseball field. And, you know, we continue to look at our world and we look at families and we look at the United States and we look at the foundations in many ways being eroded. Things that seemed so basic and so elementary are being questioned. And, I, and I'm telling you right now, and I've been saying this, I think, since 9-11, and I'll say it again. The healing remedy for America is going to be a spiritual revival. And until America decides that we're going to get back to the God of the Bible and back to our foundations, we're going to continue to see what we're seeing, which is an eroding away at the basic foundations of what God put in place. And one of the first things that he put in place, of course, is family. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The family is precious to God. And even that, in our culture, is being redefined. So we're going to have a, as it is on Father's Day and where we are in the Bible, we're going to have a message about bringing your faith home. We're going to talk about God's rule in relationships, because if your Christianity doesn't go home with you, it's not worth much, just to be quite candid with you. If you can't be a Christian at home, if you can't be a Christian where you live and breathe the most, then I'm, I'm going to be blunt, then you're a hypocrite. You've got to be able to bring your faith home. Colossians 3 verse 12 says these words. And so, Colossians 3 12 
as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, Colossians 3.13, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now, the first part of this passage in Colossians 3 is addressed to the church. And then we're going to bring it home to the family. But this verse is really a key for not only the congregation, but for the family. We need to be able to forgive each other. Marriages, I'll say this to you, I've done a lot of premarital counseling, I've read a good number of books on marriage, I've been married to my beautiful bride for 26 years, and I'll say this to you, forgiveness will always move your marriage forward, unforgiveness will always move your marriage backward. So if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you're just going to be in trouble. It says, just as the Lord forgave you, end of verse 13, so also should you. I'm not saying forgiveness is always easy, but it's just like love. It's a decision we need to make. Agape in the Bible is a decision you make. It's not if you feel like it, you forgive. It's really something we should do because we're commanded to. But we're good at complaining and we're good at holding on to our resentments. A man lay on his deathbed harassed by fear because he had harbored hatred against another. He sent for the individual whom he had a disagreement with for years before, and he made overtures of peace to the man. The two of them shook hands in friendship. But as the visitor left the room, the sick man roused himself and said, remember, if I get over this, our old quarrel stands. (laughs) If I'm dying, I forgive you. But if not, we'll just pick this up where we left off. That's sometimes how we act. Leonardo da Vinci was painting the Last Supper and he became angry with a man and lashed out at him, even threatened him. Then he went back to his fresco and tried to paint the face of Jesus. He couldn't for there was too much evil stirring inside of him. The lack of peace forced him to put down his brushes and go, brushes and go find the man. He asked the man for forgiveness. Only then did he have the inner calm needed to paint the face of the master. That's, that's where we're going to find our answers in the face of Jesus. When we're wrestling with stuff as to, can I forgive somebody of something? Can I put on a heart of compassion? Can I love my wife the way I'm supposed to? Can I parent the way I'm supposed to? Can I live out my faith at work with this difficult person? We'll find our answers in the face of Jesus. And Paul says, beyond all of this, all of these things, Colossians 3.14, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. There's an imperative thrust here in this language. It it means keep putting on love over and over and over again. You must keep putting on love. And to put on love is to put on God. To put on love is to put on the Lord Jesus. It's not a love that you generate that's going to get you through. It's the love of God poured poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen, Romans 5.5. It's a supernatural love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. These are where these things come from. And we can do all kinds of things, but if we don't love, 1 Corinthians 13 says we're nothing. And so we, we start actually in verse 15. That was a little backtracking, but... Here's one of the things that we need to do if our faith is really gonna become real in our families and in the church. Verse 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If you're a note taker, 
one of the things that Paul's gonna tell us is we gotta let some things happen. And the thing here in verse 15 is we need to let the peace of Christ rule. Where, Where should it rule? In your heart. Whenever you see in your heart in the Bible, it's really the core of who you are. It's not your pumping organ that is an incredible creation of God, but it's in the core of who you are is where you need to let peace rule. In Greek, peace is irene. In Hebrew, it is shalom. And for the Hebrew mind, when you say shalom, it means total well-being. In fact, shalom, scholars would say shalom is what has happened to the universe because of the work of Jesus Christ. We now have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are well with him. There's no barrier between us and God because of the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. And that peace, that shalom, needs to rule in your heart. The word rule is where we get the idea of arbitrate. It was used in the ancient world of an umpire who would make decisions in the games. If you want your faith to really come home, you you have to let the peace of Christ make the call. An umpire makes the call in heated decisions, right? It could be a close call at home plate and the umpire's got to decide in a moment of time whether that person is out or safe. In the same way, we need to let the peace of Christ rule as an umpire in our hearts. We need to let it rule, let it arbitrate, let it render the verdict, let it be the decisive factor. This is more than in a situation we just say, hey, peace, man, peace, dude. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the power of Almighty God coming in and making the call when everything in you wants to do the opposite. When everything in you wants the opposite of peace, and God says to you, peace, peace be still. Let me make the call here. Let me decide what's going to happen here. One of your greatest witnesses in the world is going to be if you react differently than the world. Amen? Instead of returning insult for insult, you don't. That's the model that Jesus gave us. And I know it's very hard in the moment when insults are forming in the back of your brain on the 91 freeway or some person who just said something terrible to you and you just want to say, oh yeah, let me tell you something. (laughs) I've been holding on to stuff for years and it's coming out right now. (laughs) You feel good for about a second, right? Oh, I just told them. Oh, I gave them a business card to the church last week though. Hmm. The book of James says, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let it rule. Let it rule, verse 15, take a look, in your hearts. That's every heart. That's plural. Let it rule in your hearts. There are no exceptions. Let it rule in all of your hearts. Which indeed, notice, verse 15, to which indeed you were called, that word called, has the idea of God calling us to a banquet feast or calling us out of the world into the body. You were called in one body. You are the church and we ought to be thankful people. Have you ever tried just to spend a week being more thankful? It's hard, isn't it? Especially if you've been in a mode of complaining. If you're a complainer and then you try to spend a week being thankful, it is such a challenge. You're like, oh, you got to catch yourself so many times during the day. 
The verse says, look at the end of the verse. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Time can really get away from you. The day-to-day hustle can sometimes leave little time for the more important things in life, like Bible study. Remember that Pastor Michael's teachings can be heard at any time, day or night, on walkintruth.com. You don't have to worry that you have to get out of the car right now, because today's teaching is already online, ready for you to listen when it's most convenient for you. Visit walkintruth.com today to hear all of Pastor Michael Lance's teachings to date. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Verse 15, to which indeed you were called, that word called has the idea of God calling us to a banquet feast or calling us out of the world into the body. You were called in one body. You are the church and we ought to be thankful people. Have you ever tried just to spend a week being more thankful? It's hard, isn't it? Especially if you've been in a mode of complaining. If you're a complainer and then you try to spend a week being thankful, it is such a challenge. You're like, oh, no, I mean, oh. you got to catch yourself so many times during the day. The verse says, look at the end of the verse. Some of you need to mark this. It just says, be thankful. Be a thankful person. Do you know what an attitude of gratitude starts to change in your own heart? When you start to give God thanks for things, and you start going through a list of all the blessings you have, man, it starts to do a a change in your heart. So let the peace of God rule instead of your iron fist. Amen. (laughs) Rather than letting the flesh rule, let God rule. The sense here is let the peace of Christ be an umpire in your heart amidst the conflicts of life. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with how many? All people. Romans 14, 19 says, so let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. There's enough stress and problems in this life. We don't need more. We don't don't need to be creating drama when... God calls us to peace. He himself, Ephesians 2.14, is our peace. And we are to be thankful people. Look at verse 16. Here's another thing we need to let happen. Let the word of Christ, verse 16, richly dwell within you. This is how you can let the peace of Christ rule, is you let the word of Christ rule. Notice, there's two verses you need to put together. Let the peace of Christ, mark that. Let the word of Christ When the word of Christ is richly dwelling in you, the peace of Christ is bound to come out, right? There is a link between the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. Have you noticed that when you're in your Bible and you're listening to sermons and you're spending time in worship, you react differently than when you're not? And if you haven't been in your Bible lately and you're not taking in the word of God, there's probably a one-to-one correspondence between how you're responding to people and how little the word of God's coming into you. Amen? That's why we need the Bible so desperately. Let the word of Christ richly, the idea here is extravagantly, and let it dwell within you. You could say again, let it be in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in your heart. Here's what happens. This sounds like technical language, but let's just bring it home. To let it dwell is a Greek word which means to live in, to be at home with. 
It has the idea of deep penetration and long contemplation. You might want to write that down if you're a note taker. Deep penetration and long contemplation. Sometimes when we're reading our Bible, it's like we just read so we can get enough done so we can tell somebody, hey, I read three chapters of my Bible today. You did? What'd you read? I don't know. (laughs) You might want to slow it down a little bit. This is not a race. This is not about telling your friends, hey, I read a book of the Bible today. What'd you read, Jude? Well, there's only one chapter in Jude, so that's not that great of an accomplishment. But here's the thing. When you're chewing on the word, when you're letting it go deep in you and thinking about it and contemplating it, then you're going to be more apt to let it be the, the person that you are. As a man thinks, so he what? He is. You can't be a Christian in the practical ways if you don't let Christ's word dwell in you deeply. If you take in everything but Christ's word, then it's going to be hard for you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Look at verse 16. With all wisdom, we we know what that word means. Teaching, that probably has the idea of positive elements of the Christian faith. Admonishing one another, that has to do more with warning each other and making sure we're okay. And notice there's an addition here with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, Many commentators have said, we are getting in verses 15 and 16 a view into the priorities of the early church. The priorities of the early church were the word of Christ and singing songs to God. Because when you start singing to God, it does something to your heart. Some of you are a little bit stiff on the worship. When the music's going on, can we get this part over with so we're going to get to the... Get to the Bible teaching. Right? And then for me, when I first came into the church, it was awfully strange because they spent like a half an hour singing and I'm like, what is this about? I don't do this at any other part of my life. I don't get together with my friends on the golf course and say, hey, let's sing a tune together. What do you think? Never did that. Then you come into the church and they sing. And they don't just sing for five minutes. They sing for a half an hour. Some of you time your entrance into the church, just the tail end of the music, right? Because this whole thing is strange to you. Because you're more worried about what other people think than singing to God. The early church had two primary ways in which the heart connected to God and God permeated the heart, and it's through the word of Christ and through singing. And those are the two things that the devil wants to keep you away from. Because he knows that your heart changes in corporate worship. He knows that when the word of Christ dwells richly within you, you're going to be a different person. You may even start impacting others around you for the kingdom of God. You might even muster up the strength to give someone a Bible tract or say, hey, is there a way I can pray for you? You might end up just being the church in the world. Oh, the devil can't have that. He can't have you having a song in your heart and the word of Christ richly dwelling within you. So he tries to keep you away from these things. But this is what the church does. 
The record of Christian awakenings during the last 2,000 years shows that whenever the word is, of God is recovered, it is received with great joy, which is inevitably ex- expressed in song. The medieval Latin hymns cluster around the fresh days of the monastic movements. The Protestant Reformation brought a rebirth of music to the church. When we think of the Wesleyan revival, for example, we not only think of John Wesley, but his brother Charles, who has given us so many great hymns. The great harvest of souls here in our own country in the late 1960s and 70s brought a revival of scripture singing. When the word of God dwells richly within you, you want to sing with gratitude in your hearts to God. Are you a worshiper? Do you have a song in your heart? Are you excited about singing songs to God? That's who you're singing to, by the way. And when we sing these songs to God, we sometimes feel like when we sing it, it's a little less uh, obligatory than when we maybe speak it. So we say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you everything. When you're singing it, it applies the same to God. But I just sang it. It was just a song that I sang. Wait a minute. (laughs) It's still important to God what we say in those songs. Notice that verses 15 and 16 both have the idea of thankfulness. Verse 15 says, be thankful. And then End of 16 says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving, here it is for the third time, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I wonder if Paul heard something about the Colossian church that they weren't a very thankful bunch. I don't know. But three times in these verses, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. What do you think it takes to be thankful? What do you think the key is? Do you think just some people are more naturally thankful or do you think it's a decision that you have to make every day? I would say it's the latter. When you meet a thankful person, it's a decision that they've made years ago to give thanks for everything in their lives. And whatever you do in word, look at verse 17 or deed, doesn't that cover everything, anything you speak or anything you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, Here's a practical way to think about this. Whatever you do in the following week, or maybe you should reflect on your last week, could you say, I just did that in the name of Jesus? Sometimes people think when you say the name of Jesus, it's just how you should tag your prayers. So, Lord, I'd, I need a new car, and you gotta say it this way, in the name of Jesus. Well, that's really not what this verse is talking about. When you use the name of Jesus, you're saying in the authority, or you're saying this is what Jesus would do in this situation. Christian, if that's what you call yourself, the I-A-N at the end means uh, of the order of, or belonging to the party of Christ. So this week, if you fight with your sister, could you say, I did that in the name of Jesus Or you cut off a person on the freeway. (laughs) Could you say, in the name of Jesus? How about a dishonest business practice? How about you're not treating your spouse the way you should? Honey, I just wanted you to know, could you say that's in the name of Jesus? How many things should we be doing in the name of Jesus? Uh, Let's take another look, just in case we miss something. Whatever you do in word and deed, do how many things? All in the name of Jesus. Hey, 
I've got a challenge for you this week, and I'll challenge myself. Everything you do this coming week, ask yourself before you do it, could I do this in the name of Jesus? If you could, you're cool. If you can't, you might want to start rethinking how you live. Well, if you're like me, you have to make a recommitment every day to walking with the Lord and having His priorities in your life. You know, maybe you made a New Year's resolution at the turn of the year. How would you say you're doing so far? You know, we can make all these resolutions, but what we really need is the power of God. So if you need to make a recommitment today to the things of God, maybe you've kind of slid away from them, or maybe you would even say, I'm a prodigal today. Man, it's time to get back to God. Well, friends, listening family, I'd like to remind you that we are seeking to grow this ministry. We would like to see Walk in Truth expand, and we've had our eyes on Seattle, and we're really praying about that. But we do need your help. We need your partnership, just like a local church needs giving to do what it does. A radio ministry like this does as well. So please consider, if you're being blessed by this ministry, how you can partner with us financially. You can give a one-time gift or you can become a monthly partner and really be using some of your, your giving funds to getting the gospel on the airwaves at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Well, relationships are important. In fact, I would argue we've been made for relationship and the way we build those relationships is really what matters. So we'll continue this conversation, this teaching in Colossians 3, Tomorrow on this station, make sure you tune in. Tell a friend about what you're hearing on Walk in Truth. God bless you. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.